0: Remember
1: going to the mall as a kid.
0: The food court was the place to be.
1: As a teenager, you were there to see and be seen. It had
0: the most popular stores, the best pretzels,
1: and an arcade. Today, the mall is nostalgic.
0: Most of the stores are closed, and only an anchor store or two holds it together.
1: The food court sits empty, and the arcade has long been gone.
0: Let's meet Mike.
1: Housekeeping, security, he does it all.
0: Day in and day out, he works to create the best mall-going experience he can. But his mall is a dying mall.
1: Only one anchor store remains, and vendors are leaving at a rapid pace.
0: Is there anything Mike can do to keep the mall alive?
1: Hi, I'm Heather Grayson. Writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth.
0: My name is BC Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most? Being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday, extraordinary people.
1: This is Behind the Doc, and today we are Behind the Scenes with Jasper Maul.
2: Hey Angelie. this is Mike, Jasper Malt. I'm doing great, how are you? Sweet. No, no worries. Listen, I got your email. What I was gonna, um, I have a few um, empty spaces. But the, one of the reasons why I was calling you today is, um, the two uh, food spaces that we had, the, um, we had a Grady's that was like um, sandwiches and stuff like that. He had got out um, like two weeks ago, and then we just had Subway, Um, got out yesterday, and I got out with Mike Cohen. I just told him, we need something in this mall. Um, So I guess I'm calling you for help, (laughs) please. Our two anchors, we don't have the two anchor stores. Um, It was Kmart and Penny's, which, you know, they got out everywhere. Belk is the only anchor we have right now, okay? And I can tell you how many, let's see, we got pennies, Kmart, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. We've got eight empty spaces. So like I said, we do desperately need, you know, um, some food joints, at least for a start.
0: Welcome. Welcome. Everyone to Behind the Dock. Today's film, Jasper Maul, is a beautifully shot film that gives us the day in, day out, and sometimes mundane things that are necessary to keep a financially struggling American shopping mall operating. We're very excited today to be joined by Bradford Thomason and Brett Whitcomb to discuss Jasper Mall, Bradford, Brett. First, right off the bat, I have to tell you, it's an emotional movie. I don't know if you set out to make an emotional film, but you made a very touching emotional film.
3: Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank
4: you.
0: You guys have done as a as a duo, right, with the two of you with Window Pictures, you've made these films that I guess pop culture, nostalgia, is the best term I can think of. You've had movies about the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, uh, animatronic bands at pizza places, two dudes who realized how hard it is to be a rock star even for 24 hours, right? You've made these films that show us things that particularly, if you're my age, I'm in my mid-40s, are youth. Is this a, a choice that you've done? Are you trying to relive your youth? Or are you just trying to capture moments? Why this focus on some of these moments that speak to when you were younger?
4: I think we're definitely just generally inspired by nostalgia. I mean, I think it's a it's a cultural thing too. I think we're living in a kind of a nostalgia age, but we've always kind of been inspired by things that we experienced or, or, you know, took part in as children and, or you know, as teenagers. And um, you know, I think that it's it's kind of an attempt to take. To take the nostalgia and see, like, what it looks like behind it, how these things that we're nostalgic for actually impact individuals in the present day. And whether we've wanted to or not, or whether we set out to every time or not, it just happens that way for us.
2: I'm housekeeping, maintenance, security. And uh, I just make sure that at night, if it don't get done, that's... I'll make sure it gets done in the morning.
1: I will say that you you followed Mike. You really chose a great person to follow. I mean, he, he really... He definitely made us all root for him. He's the good guy. And with the Tiger King coming out, I was like, wow, this is the good Tiger King kind of. You know what I mean? The, the blonde mullet and everything.
2: I owned a zoo for 25 years. Lions, tigers. <laughs> yeah, you probably see that's my that was that's my passion. I've been in the hospital 22 times, and I went in the pen with everything. They were my kids.
1: So why did you choose him, and how was it to work with him?
3: When Brad kind of found the mall, he was driving home from somewhere, and he saw the mall. And he went in and instantly just started texting me pictures of it, because aesthetically it was just, like, really beautiful mall. It still had the fountain and all the real plants and the skylights and all the things that the malls that we had growing up, we just started kind of toying with the idea of like filming there. And then, you know, we had to ask somebody if we could do that. And, you know, Mike does every single thing in the mall. Like he's the security guard. He's the manager. He fixes the roof. He does everything. He's, you know, quality control, HR department. He's everything. So when we approached him and asked, I mean, instantly in the first five minutes, we knew that like, okay, this, if we do film here, Mike needs to be a part of it. And, you know, Mike is the mall. Every time we got there, we called him. He was busy and we just threw a mic on him and and had to try to keep up with him.
0: As you were starting to film... You very much focused on subjects. We followed them. When did you know that we're going to just focus on the story and let it play out versus document, talking head, archival footage, which you see in a ton of documentary films?
3: We talked about from the day one that we wouldn't sit down anybody and interview that it was going to be all learning, learning from doing. So the viewer would only figure things out as we were filming people and things were unfolding naturally. So that's why we kind of and choosing to do that, it just means that we have to film with somebody for like 10 hours and give them a, you know, until they are totally sick of us. And, and we can kind of tell that, that, you know, we burned ourselves out. But, you know, that was a decision from the beginning. And mainly just because we personally love watching movies like that, where they don't spoon feed you. And who cares what someone's last name is It's it's and stuff like that. It's like you just kind of learn by watching.
2: We have a lady that turned 100 and uh, you wouldn't think she was 70 years old and then we have the regulars. We average about, I'd say we usually get about 30 walkers in the mornings all different times
1: yeah, we met so many different faces and people and relationships. I mean, you have the mall walkers, you have the Domino's guys, you have, you know, you have the the couple, you have Mike, you have the Robin's Nest, which was very sad for me because I, I remember a lot of the older folks, you know, ending up retiring, um, in the malls that I used to work in. So, what made you kind of whittle it down to to these particular subjects? Was there reasoning behind it, other than Mike, of course, but any tenants that really, you know kind of got on your nerves that you just decided not to to work with. What are, the, what are the background of all of this?
3: We knew that at least for the first two weeks, we weren't really going to film. So all we did for the first two weeks was go talk to people, hang out in the food court for a long period of time, too. And people, it was super awkward. And like, why are you sitting there with like a camera on the table and a mic? Brad's walking around with headphones and hang out with them and ask them, like, learn about their business a little bit and also build that relationship with people and
4: you know we're receptive to people who are receptive to us you know so if if we get in there and we start and we talk to we try to talk to everyone we try to go and you know introduce ourselves and say what we're doing and and you know kind of gauge interest and you know some people just aren't interested and then the people who are we gravitate to them a little bit and then if there are people who aren't interested at first like robin for example she i mean she was a little bit Unsure of what we were doing, so we we spent time there with her and got to know her.
3: Just eventually, after walking by her store ten times with a camera, you know, you just kind of sneak, slowly sneak your way in, and she's like, she doesn't know what's happening. You know, she's into it, and then by the time we're halfway through filming, she's like asking why we're not filming with her. Well, we just decided we'd retire, so that we could travel and do other things. So. We've been here 25 years, so So it's time. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, and good luck on your wedding.
0: So you guys filmed for about a year total. Was that accurate? Yes. What was that like? Like, how do you know when to go, when to shoot, or was it just we're going to shoot for, as you said, 10 hours today, and then we have tons and tons of footage. I mean, if you're shooting 10 hours over the course of a year, even if it's once a week, that's a tremendous amount of footage to then whittle down to an hour in like 18 minutes. So how is that process like? How did you decide what days to film? Walk us through what it's like to give yourself a year into this whole project, making it your life for that time frame.
4: We're not that far from the mall, so it was, it was uh, relatively convenient for us to go there. And sometimes Mike would let us know things were going on. So, you know, there's the the quartets uh, performing and, and the carnival and stuff. So we know those things are happening and we know when we're going to go. But a lot of times we would just, on a Wednesday, be like, hey, let's go to the mall tomorrow. Okay, and we go to the mall and Brett and I just sit in the food court, like he said, you know, with our cameras, just kind of, you know, we check in with the people who were following a little bit and see what's going on, you know, and then sometimes we just sit and wait kind of for something to happen um, around us. And I think, I think often it was you know what we captured and what what we got was unplanned
3: by embedding ourselves in the food court basically and just sitting there that's how we met like Casey and Isidore they walked in in their prom outfits they were going to prom and they were going to eat at the restaurant there and I you know it was just like oh my god you know I have to go approach them and just say hi and it's super awkward get their phone numbers why? <laughs> you know? and um, then you know I just we just made friends with them and I just said hey please text me next time you're gonna hang out at the mall and then you know luckily they did they were like hey we're gonna go to the carnival
5: his cousin and me has been best friends since ninth grade and in tenth grade his cousin's little sister was like, you should follow this dude on Instagram, and I said, okay, and I thought it was so cute, and I was like, waiting for him to post something for me to like, and he posted it, to be honest, and I was like, and then he, uh, then he liked my, to be honest, so I was like, to be honest, you cool, but I don't know you, and then we just started from there, and we had a girl message me and say, are y'all talking, and I was like, no, so I texted him, I said, are you talking about me, and he said, no, and then he gave me this number, we started dating about a month after that. <laughs> You always have some old people that kind of looks at you like, y'all aren't supposed to do that. And I have a lady that married one of my cousins, and she was really against it. And she told me right away, she's like, you're going to go to hell for it. So I asked my preacher, and I was like, is it really going to be an issue? And I'm crying. I was really upset because I really liked him at the very beginning. And he said, well, he said, everybody's going to be against it. And really, it's not even about irrational in and the Bible and stuff, so he explained it to me. And ever since then, you ain't really had that many issues. You had some people question you, but you just say you don't see color.
0: My mom, she used to say I was crazy for trying to date a white girl at the time. But then when she actually like got to sit down with her and talk to her and stuff, she fell in love with her. Still love her to this day. I think their relationship was interesting. We've all had, particularly growing up in teenage years, you know, it brought me back. I've had relationships begin and end in a mall, right? Both of those <laughs> things happen as you're growing up and it's a place where you hang out. And they interacted with two people, uh, or at least Casey did, was that struck a you know, kind of a something with me in the in the mall workers in the uh, people in the nail salon or in the hair salon, right? And she's trying to one of them is comfortable being there. And one of them wants to get out and start a new life as they're discussing it. And it was, I think it was very two very different people, but I think it was a good representation of what it's like to be stuck in that kind of mall, right? One person's just, I want to live here, grow up, I'll do it. And one person wants to explore. But I loved my favorite moment was them kind of out back. Off work, on the smoke break, so to speak, just hanging out and chatting.
5: But you realize how small this place is, yeah. And it, like, it kind of puts a little bug in. You're like, okay, what's next? Like, I like this small town and I like this the comfort of it. But there's something bigger out there.
2: Yeah. There's
5: something way bigger out there. And I just want to, like, I just want to leave my mark on the world. Like, just leave my mark. Like, just a little stain. You leave this kid mark. <laughs> Pretty much, like that's the level. <laughs> I the get mark on the US.
0: <laughs> I think that's a beautiful part of this film is just catching every aspect of what a mall is. Whether it's the walkers, the couple, the workers, uh, the stores that are going under, the stores that are pulling out, the managers. So I think it's a really good tale of that.
1: Yeah, the cinematography was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it was it was really, really beautiful and well done. And I we were all of us were kind of asking ourselves, like, what kind of equipment were they using? What were with Mike? Just everything seemed so, you know, we were just right there. We were right there standing with you. What were other than your study cam and everything else was there? Just what were you using?
3: I didn't use a steady cam on anything, but um I did. He's
4: just steady.
0: Wow. Oh, God. Good for you. Yeah, I would be wobbling all over the place. I drink too much coffee. Congratulations. Yes, That's I impressive.
1: absolutely thought it was a steady cam. <laughs>
4: no, he, he's just, he's, he's rock solid. That's awesome. Nice. That <laughs> yeah. Well, I will
3: say that I did have the the times that we I wanted these, like, really composed, straight-on shots of the buildings, especially when we're in a hurry. I, I used a... Um, a cine saddle, which is like, like a big bag that you put over your shoulder that you can rest the camera on. So I use that on like long shots when I was just going to be standing there. But if I, if we were following people around, it was just on the shoulder. And then, you know, like the the carnival shot, the one that looks like a drone shot kind of that's on the I don't know if if y'all remember that, but it's like on the actual Ferris wheel and it goes around. That yes, was like yes. you know, I just put the Cine saddle in my lap and set the camera on it, and we and Brad and I just rode the ride. Wow. Yeah, and
4: we weren't we weren't entirely sure whether or not it went upside down until we got over the top. We were like, well, if this goes upside down, I guess we're all going to fall <laughs> out. Yeah.
0: I got to tell you, side note, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of parking lot carnivals. I'm always super nervous that that stuff is not <laughs> bolted down to the ground year-round, right? It's not an amusement park. They come and go. That's one of those things. Though, I have ridden my fair share of parking lot carnival rides. Do not get me wrong. But I always have a bit of a hesitation on those things. Were you ever nervous getting on that Ferris wheel?
3: Oh, my God. Brad's <laughs> like Brad's like 6'5", what are you, 6'4"? Yeah, 6'4". And he doesn't fit in that ride very well. So he, he's like hanging out of it and we're asking them if this thing like t- tips and, and they're just like, I don't, you know, it's fine. You know, just get on. And, and that, and then it got a little stuck while it was up top and it wouldn't move for like a couple minutes. And we were just like sitting up there and I was like, I, I almost panicked. And I was like, Hey, this, you know, we'll, rem-. I, I told, I looked at Brad and I was like, we'll remember this later uh, fondly. I hope.
0: One of my other favorite parts, as we were alluded to a second ago, was the Santa, right? That's a that's a tried and true tradition of any mall from, I think, the malls first began. You have Santa, you bring your kids in, some like him, some freak out and cry. But you gave this, without really meeting Santa very well, we don't, once again, hear kind of his story. We explore it with him, and you kind of see him set up, but that shot of him, like, in the break room, in the back, just relaxing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what every Santa can relate to after a day <laughs> of having kids sit on their lap. I thought that was one of those things that was just, it had to be included. I didn't even know if they still do that as much anymore, particularly there, but I feel like you know it's a big part. And that was a good catch. And I think it was a good uh, moment to show how, in the chaos of the kids, like what happens afterwards for poor Santa.
3: It really is. And I I, I had to like bite my tongue to like, ask him if I could go buy him a cigarette just to sit there and smoke, you know, that would have been a cherry on top. <laughs> I...
1: <laughs> little little flask, maybe? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did love the Santa. Not only just kind of seeing what he's going through, He's, you can clearly see he's trying to talk to these little babies that are just kind of mumbling, and he's like, oh, yeah, tell me more.
2: What you want for Christmas?
0: I will um, I'll, um, I'll read and
2: Oh, remote
1: control car.
5: You have to watch your child.
1: Okay, there's something else you want? Yes. To be a Santa has to be just the best, but also like, oh boy, I gotta, I gotta take a drink.
3: He was a sweet guy. Yeah, he was very nice.
1: He was really patient,
3: and he was super patient with us. And he, he, he was into it. And he was actually from another state. Like he, like flew, in, he flies places to do that for a company.
1: Santas make a lot of money. They, I didn't know that. Oh, a lot, yeah. Especially a good Santa. One of the best things about the mall is mall watching, just mall watching, people watching, and just. And I loved that you gave great shots of people doing that, just sitting down in a bench, just watching everybody. Because I think that I spent hours doing that. It just, mm-hmm. it, it was real. It just brought up a lot of the feels.
0: One thing I learned in following Mike, and so I'm curious as we get there, what other surprises you learned. I didn't realize as much that people. How do I put this? People sometimes just poop wherever they please. All right, so that was something that I learned, and I felt bad for that young man. But I appreciated Mike's frankness. Like, look, it happens. You got to clean it.
2: When I say clean the bathrooms, it means the glass. It means everything here. Yes. Perfect. It means make sure the tissues are full, the urinal. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to give you an example. Last week, uh, somebody decided they didn't want to use the bathroom. They just decided to poop on the floor. Really? Yeah. I'm just being straightforward. That's crazy. I know. But what I'm getting at is, if you come in here and see a pile of poo on the floor, um, your job is to clean it. Yeah. Okay? Uh, You'd be surprised how many run gov get me, Mm -hmm. because they're going, look, what do I do? You clean it up.
3: You know, I would have never, just driving by, and seeing a man with the you know, his Jasper Mall security shirt, I would have never guessed the, all the roles that he plays and what it takes to, like, keep that place, like, going on a daily basis. Because if he stopped coming in, I mean, water would come through the ceiling. I mean, nothing, it would just, it would just, I think it would just really kind of decline rapidly if it wasn't for somebody like Mike that, that really cared about what he was doing. And that that really, his commitment really surprised me.
1: I know from past, when Amal was really at its heyday, I mean, there would have been 17 mics, you know? Mm-hmm. There, so it it's so interesting to see that it windled down to just the one man trying to keep this mall alive. It's a testament to him that he, you know, not only was he thinking about, you know, okay, what can, we, what can we do to bring in customers? So let's get a carnival going. Let's get, you know, that band that was singing and the microphone was just going crazy on him. I, I felt so bad. They're just trying to, you know, have some entertainment. And, you know, it's, it's, and I'm sure he doesn't have that type of a background either. I mean, we know that his background, he owned a zoo.
2: My wife, her company, they were over this mall. And then um, she got transferred and I was coming through. I was, <clears> I was bringing tigers. <laughs> to a zoo, and uh, I stopped by here to see her. And I, um, I'd come through when I was moving animals and stuff, and stopped by and started, started coming in, and and then um, the owner offered me a job, and I said, well, okay. So I've been doing it
1: to come in and work for a mall, and you know, do all these events and plumbing and everything else like that. I mean, he just must be this really wonderful all-around great guy was he is he somebody that you still keep in touch with
4: yeah we, we've we've gone by there after we've we filmed and, and checked in with mike he's he's a great guy he really is i mean you know our experience with him was like i said earlier just a lot of positivity and you know always willing to always asking us he, he walks around and asks everyone you good you need anything you good i mean he asks everyone that all day long you good you need
1: anything how did he like the documentary how did he like seeing himself
3: he actually, we we really wanted him. We tried to get him to come to Slam Dance, and he was too busy. Like he said, he had to like fix some stuff, so he couldn't come.
4: <laughs> but I like we like,
3: yeah, we begged him, begged him, and went up there three times, and we're like, please come. You know, we are pay for everything. <laughs> like, and it just didn't work out. And this local film festival called Sidewalk Film Festival in Birmingham, and they're actually having a drive-in. They have a big drive-in theater. And so um, we're, we're hoping that he hasn't seen it yet and that he can watch it, you know, in a car next to us.
0: Speaking of nostalgia and maybe even meeting friends, so you're young. You're a couple young gentlemen. Your parents drop you off at the mall. You got 10 dollars in quarters, burning holes in your pocket. You walk into Aladdin's Palace or whatever, video Aladdin's game. Castle. Aladdin's Castle. <laughs> What's your game of choice? What game do you put a quarter on and say, "I got next on this." What did you play back in the day in Aladdin's Castle?
4: <laughs> Street Fighter 2.
0: Yes, right? Who was your character? <laughs> Uh, I played with
4: Ryu again. Ryu, you go
0: the basic, couldn't go the Zangief. I feel you, but that's all right. Everyone's got that story (laughs) where they put that quarter on and they're like, this is my game, you know, you play for next. Those type of memories is what this film was bringing out of me watching it. Like those type of moments. In fact, the mall that is, well, it's now closed down. The mall that used to be closest to me growing up that I grew up in was an identical footprint to Jasper Mall. It was designed by Simon Malls. I could see it right away. The brown, the rust, the triangular planters, the fountain, the skylights. It's exactly the same decor. And that mall is now, it was abandoned. It actually became one of the most famous, like, urban spelunking malls before it was uh, torn down to now become, and ironically enough, an Amazon fulfillment center. Oh, wow. So do you think in jasper's future i mean i know it's hard to predict but do you feel like jasper mall is going to be able to make it is it going to be an amazon fulfillment center down the road what does the future hold for this mall after being there for so long and getting to know the people if you had to guess
4: i don't know i have a feeling it's going to stick around for a while i mean if it's if it's surviving this right now this i think it will adapt when we were
3: leaving stores a few you know one store we were already wrapped and and picture locked, but when we'd go back to talk to Mike and just hang out, a store came in to where Robin, Robin's nest was. It's every, t-
2: every week. Well, the week right now, we're hearing Victoria's Secret's coming, but who comes to a mall when stuff is leaving? We're hoping next month that uh, somebody might be coming in the Kmart building, so that'd be good. They, uh, they hadn't committed to it yet, but they're, they're, in, they're in the works. That they're talking about it, so that'd be good. That'll help out a great deal.
3: And it was like a carpet flooring store, which is not a normal store to have in a mall. And it, it makes sense, right? Like, because this owner can't afford, maybe he can't afford like his own building somewhere in Jasper, but he can afford a little space in this mall to, to do business. So I think if they're open to letting tenants come in like that and, and that works, then it could stick around. But I I could absolutely see it turning into an Amazon fulfillment center too.
1: As we kind of end everything, I just wanted to know what do you want people to leave feeling or thinking after they watch this film?
4: Kind of what you were feeling when you when you had the the reflection of playing video games, you know, uh, as a child. I mean, kind of bringing up some of those old feelings of of being in the mall and how that makes you feel, and then also just connecting with the characters and. Sort of understanding that there are people behind both, you know, our nostalgic reflection on things like malls, and also, you know, in, in things we think are "quote unquote" failing or, or or declining, like the mall. You know, there's still a wealth of humanity and beauty inside.
3: Yeah, I echo that, and and just say that I feel like there's beauty everywhere, even you know, behind a dumpster. There's be- There's beauty. So I think that if you go away feeling like you had an experience watching and you've, you know, just, just the fact that you felt a little melancholy after watching it, you know, makes me feel happy, so.
0: Uh, it was definitely that. It was, uh, oh, just one other random memory. There's always the mall that sells the weapons.
3: Yeah. This right here, that's gonna be like your standard throwing
0: knife. And so you couldn't buy these, I mean,
5: they don't sell throwing knives at like Walmart and stuff,
0: do they? No. That was just a side note. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I bought nunchucks and Chinese stars when I should have never been able to buy them and ridiculous-sized knives at about 17 years, probably younger, from the weapons dealer in the mall. There's always a guy that sells swords and nunchucks and throwing stars at a mall. Um, I did the same thing. Yeah, we all did, right? And that's what that film was. And I— i was more frustrated when it ended bradford and brett because i watched it and i just and as you said some people may need that more traditional style but the journey which is the beautiful part of it just watching it and go through and it was because you went through the seasons and i think that was a great part to see the carnival to see santa to see them moving out it was it could have kept going for a while for me i could have kept following them along so thank you for making jasper mall i think it particularly if you grew up in that era I think it's important, but I think it's awesome for maybe younger generations to see whether they're in, you know, a busy mall or these outdoor centers to see what it was like and to see what it is like behind the scenes. And I think that was really important. So I think you made a beautiful movie, I and mean, I hope a lot of people go watch it.
1: This was such a great movie. It was the mall that I grew up in. it it's all built by the same guy, I guess, or mm-hmm. same designers. It's very similar. Rust, the the brown, all yeah. the plants and everything else like that. It was it was all the same. And so it was definitely made me feel very good. And I, I'm glad. I'm glad about it. Thank you thank so much you. for making well, the film. Thank
2: you.
3: Well, thank you all so much. We really appreciate
2: it. Take trash, little Johnny. Johnny. Uh who, who was the first president? Johnny studied a little bit. He said, teacher, you think you know? She said, I don't think I know. He said, I don't think I know either. <laughs> hey, got one more. Teacher asked a teacher asked little old Jim in the class. Said, who was a, uh, who was the first man on earth? He said, horse cart Oh, no, no, Jim. It was Adam. He said, I knew it was one of them car
1: rides. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app.
0: Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures.
1: Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael D'Aloya.
0: Produced by Sarah Willgroup
1: And audio engineer Eric Coltmouth.
0: And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.
2: Science!
4: Science! Science! myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual, all to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts, the Mad Scientist Podcast.
1: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.